listeners, have you ever been on fire? I just don't, I personally haven't ever been on fire and tried to stop, drop, and roll. Because I've never been fully on fire enough to need to roll. Like, parts of me have caught fire, like my dress or my hair. And then it's always like, ah, and like a little bit of like, you know, you stomp it out or whatever. But like, I've never caught so much fire that I had to stop, drop, and roll. So I'm curious if any of our listeners have and if they could write into the pod. Yeah, I would be curious to hear that. I never have. Yeah. I don't think that I would... I don't think that be I'm... able to execute it with the degree of technical success necessary to take the oxygen out of the situation. Like if there's like if my back's on fire, I'm not going to be able to like lie, lie down in such a pose that I adequately smother it. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe my animal instincts will kick in. Yeah, I feel like my first step would be like take off whatever it is that's on fire. Like I feel like that's always what comes to mind. I feel like my first step would be take off my hoodie, take off my shoes, get comfortable. Wait, did you hear her? How would you introduce, we're talking about feminist Wicca, which is sometimes called Dianic Wicca, which is sort Mm -hmm. of a specific goddess that's worshipped in the process of feminist Wicca. And it refers to Diana, who's like a pretty commonly known goddess in the... Yeah, Roman pantheon. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up, bitch. I don't need to tell you who it is. Uh, Yeah, no. Anyway, so how would would you sort of introduce uh, the woman who is considered the founder of Dianic Wicca. Diana is the Roman version of the Greek goddess Artemis, who's the goddess of the hunt, and she's considered a virgin in the old world sense of the word, not meaning someone who hasn't had sex with a man, but meaning somebody who's unmarried and autonomous. Artemis famously, or Diana famously, has a hunting party of all women who travel through like the moonlight altogether. And some people associate her with lesbianism, some just with like a rejection of the masculine and men and male control and domination. Um, so that is why it is called Dianic Wicca, because it's all about the female influence and the rejection of the masculine. Not to drop penetrate into the chat, but like <laughs> also the fact that she hunts right. and is a virgin is something to consider. This is so beyond the scope, but just a quick, this is interesting. It's interesting because within the context of Greek mythology, she is considered the uh, she's considered to be in a divine duality with her twin, Apollo, who is very much the masculine aspect. So yes. it's not that this is, like, she rejects men and the masculine, but she is considered part of a larger whole in which men are considered, like, necessary and balanced and important. It's, a, so yeah, it's like a classic duality, sun, moon. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, that's like a true cult, cross-cultural thing is like a masculine, yes. feminine, sun, moon, day, yes. night type situation. Yeah, which she's we in can, relation to the masculine son, which is another which difference can, yeah. between the witch. Yeah, yeah, sorry, go for it. Oh, no, which is we can return to when we talk about the role of men in Dianic witchcraft. So Z Budapest is the subject of our podcast today. And as Eva said, she is the founder in many ways of an American tradition of what is called Dianic Wicca. Um it's also when people refer to it, when we refer to it as feminist witchcraft, we're not saying that in the sense of it is witchcraft that involves or embodies female deities. It's presented as and conceived of as feminist witchcraft. So yes, Z Budapest is a Hungarian immigrant to America. She has written several books on feminist spirituality and witchcraft, and she founded what was called the Susan B. Anthony Coven Number no. One. It was just such an 
unbelievably iconic and like blown out and insane That's name. Such a sick name. And that coven was founded in 1971. So Z Budapest was born in 1940 in Budapest, which is where she takes her name from. Her birth name is Z Susanna Esme Mokse. Um, apologies to any Hungarians in the chat. But she was born in Budapest and her mother was a medium and a witch. She was also a sculptress, so she was an artist. And during the Russian occupation of Hungary, she was politically involved with the Hungarian Revolution. And in 1956, she was like heavily involved in many of the marches and like political actions that were happening as part of that revolution and actually ended up becoming a political refugee and leaving the country because the occupation was so brutal and she was unable to stomach it. And when you hear her interviewed about it, one of the things that she says is she witnessed in her home and in Hungary a not insignificant amount of gendered occupational violence by the Russians. So like mm-hmm. sexual assault, rape, and like violence against women specifically as a huge part of that occupying force, which she credits to being like a foundational part of her political and her religious and spiritual conscience. Mm-hmm. She settled in Austria. She went to high school there. Then she went to University of Vienna, studied languages, and after that immigrated to the United States. Um, she went to University of Chicago. She actually studied at Second City, the improv school. <laughs> it's so psycho and yeah. like amazing. That's sick. Are yeah. That? It's crazy. And then she moves to Long Island and was married to a man named Tom and had two kids. One of whom is named Gabor, which is a name that you and I come to often, I feel like. Yes, we do. (laughs) Why do we love? (laughs) Somebody explain the link to like why so many of my friends are Hungarian or named Gabor. (laughs) Great name. It's a great name. So she was in Long Island in the 60s. And then, as sometimes happens in Long Island in the 60s, she is like, I'm a lesbian. And her husband is like, well, that's going to make this tough. And so they divorce in 1970. So now she's 30 and she moves out to California. And this is where we pick up our story with her. So everything Mm -hmm. before this, consider foundational biographical detail. This is the point at which she enters the phenomena universe. So she becomes involved in the women's lib movement in LA. She staffs at the Women's Center. She's an activist. She's getting involved in the lesbian community. But what she notices, observes, or you know, comes into contact with is that the women's movement, though it is politically fierce and radical, lacks, in her opinion, a spiritual dimension. Mm. So you have a women's liberation movement which focuses on freeing women from the confines of societal constraints, freeing them from legal obligations, which place them as second-class citizens, allowing them to have all the rights that men have, giving them the ability to do things that men can do, placing them as equals in society. So you have people advocating for that, but but there is still a lack of a metaphysical understanding of how a woman could be the same or how a woman liberates herself or frees herself. Even if she is uh, legally free, how can she be psychologically free? How can she be spiritually free? Especially mm-hmm. after the kind of violence that women suffer, which she is is seeing staffing the Women's Center. She's, she's seeing women who have been abused, who have been raped, who are in marriages in which they are are beaten and like, you know, the things mm-hmm. we associate with gendered violence. She's recognizing that part of the healing from that and part of the liberation from that is a spiritual liberation. And so in 1971, she founds the Susan B. Anthony Coven number one. 
Which, Sick. like, if I was really involved in a movement and I realized that there was a need for a spiritual dimension to just create something called the Susan B. Anthony Coven, the literalness of that, it's so admirable. <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking sick, dude. It's so, fucking sick. Yeah, obviously, if you don't know who Susan B. Anthony is, she's a 19th century campaigner for women's rights and like an icon in the movement. Um, definitely a Google of her will will lead you down some interesting rabbit holes. She had a fascinating life, but not a particularly spiritual one in the context of what we're talking about today. <laughs> yes, yeah, no. Uh, Z. Budapest has published many books and one of them is called The Holy Book of Women's Mysteries, originally published as the Feminist Book of Lights and Shadows. And this book, in some ways, recounts what the Susan B. Anthony Coven, number one, did and what their relationship to spirituality was like. And it's absolutely fascinating. So it's the ba- it's considered the basic text of like Danic Wicca, but really... After it was published, it spread across the country through like all these different groups and became sort of a textbook of how women could create spiritual goddess worship cults. So they weren't all Dianic cults, but they were generally women only groups which were devoted to a positive female feminist spirituality. Mm -hmm. And she sort of started that. And you can read her book about what that was like. It's a... It's amazing. I think it's super easy to... Nope. I think it's super interesting (laughs) is what I was going to say. And then I read a word on it. You know, Mm -hmm. when you talk Mm -hmm. and then you're also reading. I think it's super interesting to think about... I mean, this podcast is not about feminism. But in the context of this episode, I think it's super interesting to think about, like, where feminism was or where Budapest saw feminism in the late 60s and early 70s as Mm -hmm. being... As lacking a spiritual liberation. Because a lot of spiritual well i i've read other criticisms that late 60s spiritualism was focused on a specific kind of spiritual liberation that also involved the requirement of women to sort of think of their own bodies and like the labor they could perform as like something that was to be like offered to the general group as like sort of this weird like both free love thing but then also this like making of new communities that aren't Mm -hmm. based on the family unit and yet still because of the way that spirituality was often weaponized by like basically cult leaders or whatever in the 60s and 70s like there was still like a very much a spiritual element to the ways that women were like subjugated uh even within this, like, supposedly, like, new liberatory movement. Mm-hmm. So I can uh, – I wasn't there, but I can totally see how uh, <laughs> how a spiritual revolution was necessary to, like, physically liberate and, you know, financially also. Financially, a lot of those spiritual groups were very controlling to women. Mm-hmm. For those who are not super versed in feminist history, first wave feminism is considered suffrage. So it's like women deserve voting rights and property rights. (laughs) So it's it's very, very, it's very literally focused on the legality of the situation, right? So first wave feminism is like women deserve the right to vote and they deserve the right to own property outside of marriage. And that is very clearly defined. And that is like the origins of American feminism and Susan B. Anthony being a suffragette, like somebody who, I don't Maybe it's demeaning to call her a suffragette. I guess people object to that term now, but involved in that. So hearkening back to that wave of feminism, 
Then second wave feminism is considered to be starting in the 60s and lasting up until the sex wars in the 80s. Generally, I think most theorists consider it that. I'm sure people debate the edges, but this is a a new generation of feminists who focus on a a wider, more societal, more social set of concerns, including family units, Mm -hmm. right to work, reproductive rights, domestic violence, marital rape, and access to money. So Mm -hmm. issues of not just women being allowed to make choices about the world, but being able to make choices in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And then third and fourth wave feminism, it's much thornier because we're much closer to those. And those, you know, those haven't happened at the time that we're talking about. So we can get into that later if it's necessary. But point being, Z is is coming up through a new wave of feminist activity, which is still defining yes. itself and turning it's over and, and turning itself over and trying to figure yes. out what it wants. And it's also happening in the context of the sexual liberation of the 60s. Yes. So consider that this has just happened. She has been in a marriage to a man. She has decided or realized that she's a lesbian and she has had this divorce, freed herself, and now is coming into this world in which she has this freedom and needs the world to catch up, right? Like yes, she needs a, world, a freed world to live in as a freed woman. And so she links with these other women, some of whom are lesbians, some of whom are not, all of whom are invested in feminism and spirituality as married practices. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Luckily, my audio is separate. There's a bug in my room! If you'd like, I can read you an introduction to the feminist book of Light and Shadows. Yes, read me read me from the feminist book of light of light and shadows. I think this just gives context into what the flavor of this is because yes. if, for those of you who have not met people or been exposed to people who are practicing witchcraft in the modern day it can be kind of an abstract oh, idea. Oh, right, I forget that like other people don't just like hang out with yeah. witches all the time. Yeah, are not from <laughs> Seattle and Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, go on. Once upon a time, somewhere in Virginia, there were two ex-nuns, Laura and Beach, who embarked on the adventure of following the path of the goddess with a precious and rare copy of a book in their hands. This book was called the Feminist Book of Light and Shadows. They also had with them a basket filled with candles and food to share and Peppy, their trusted mutt. And so they set out in the middle of the night on Halloween. It was windy. Beach was reading avidly about the ritual for Halloween by using a flashlight when a gust of wind dislodged the book from her hand and carried it triumphantly towards the nearby woods where they were headed. Laura dropped the basket of food and candles immediately and began to chase the airborne copy wildly but to no avail. For a moment, Beach thought God the man was getting even with them for heresy. Laura thought the goddess took the book ahead of them as a sign for their newfound path. But Peppy, the dog, was delighted with the chase, which she punctuated with wild barks and gruffs at the ever-flying winged book of women's worship. All three of them breathlessly pursued the book that flew and flew with such ease, each woman in her own way caught up in the night's excitement. Finally, at the woods, a birch tree snatched the book out of the winds and dropped it on the wet autumn grass. Peppy immediately snatched it up in her mouth and brandished it between her teeth. This was the last copy in the world of the feminist book of light and shadows that's sick it's sick i think it hits a lot of important notes in terms of what this kind of witchcraft is so one you have uh women who are embarking on an adventure 
yes. that is thematically a really core and really important part of this witchcraft. There's a sense of adventure. Yes. There's a sense of freedom. There's a sense of sisterhood. There's also a sense of love between women. There's this very, very, very strong lesbianism within this. Mm-hmm. Not just because Z was a lesbian, but because this is an important part of this era of feminism. And there are big debates yes. about political lesbianism versus like inborn lesbianism beyond the scope of this podcast, but sisterhood and lesbianism as like two sides of this relationships. There's also this sense of um, almost like the sense of material abundance, like they have a basket with candles and food to share. Yes. It's Halloween and they're doing a Halloween ritual. So there's that kind yeah. of camp, yeah, which obviously we love. And there's a sense of ordinary events and experiences taking on a supernatural, like Signs and symbols are everywhere, right? Which is common to witchcraft generally. But I think when you're inventing your own witchcraft versus having it passed down to you from somebody else, I mean, Z's mother was a witch, but I think she's inventing her own version of that. You have the opportunity for interpretation on all fronts. So here you have Laura thinking the goddess took the book. You have Beach thinking that God, the man, is getting even with them. And then you have the dog being like, this is so fun. The dog's just living in the moment. Yeah. And I think that those represent, in that story, you have such a representation of a lot of the kind of like thematic concerns of this version of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that sets this version of witchcraft apart from many other versions of witchcraft that are enacted by women, and lots of witchcraft is done by women. You mentioned it when you were talking about the this whole little story takes place on a walk. Um, a lot of witchcraft is concerned with protecting one's own self and home, and then also attacking enemies and their home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you won't find in Dianic Wicca, you won't find as much of a pattern of spells and rituals being centered on the domicile because there is in this era like uh an interest in freedom from what is considered i don't want to say like the house as a prison but like freedom from the woman's attachment to her role in the house so there's not as much in dianic wicca of constant rituals of of home And there's Mm -hmm. more of a coming together in a third place or a moving forward together on a journey as the celebration of togetherness rather than togetherness being – what's the opposite of nomadic called in like early society studies? Settlement. Yeah, Yeah. like togetherness is not the same as settlement in in the way that it often is in other uh, religions and witchcraft. I think that's a really important distinction. And I think that actually when you read a lot of these rituals, which are like lighting candles and burning incense and, you know, sacrificing objects and saying prayers and focusing attention, a lot of it has to do with blessing the self and there actually are debates, a lot of debates within Dianic Wicca and around Dianic Wicca about whether or not it's appropriate to do spells that attack or harm others because Mm. Z was very for that and Z believed it was totally appropriate to bind like rapists and wife beaters and often held often held rituals that would do that whereas there's other versions of dianic wicca or like goddess witchcraft that come out of this that are like that's not okay we can't use our magic to infringe on the will of another because that does not contribute to to liberation that's so interesting let's talk about that are you familiar with the women's international terrorist conspiracy from hell yeah a little bit actually no i'm not tell me about it (laughs) So for our listeners at home, that's an acronym for like W-I-T-C-H, which it's a super early radical feminist group that was founded in New York around the time that Z Budapest was living in New York. And while Capital Witch, the Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell, was actually not a witchcraft group and it was not a religious group. It was just an adaptation of 
the word witch, but they created a separatist manifesto that was highly violent. Mm-hmm. I mean, their name is the International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell. So they were leaning all the way in. Their manifesto was a big part of the Susan B. Anthony Coven Number 1 manifesto, because keep in mind, this is the late 60s and early 70s, and <laughs> every single document is a manifesto. Yeah, we're manifestoed up. Yeah, so like they had these like anti-rape squads and things like that and they really saw rape as like not necessarily the only act but a fundamental act or like a distilled unit of patriarchy. Yeah, a fundamental representation. Yeah, fundamental representation, both literally and metaphorically, of like control and subjugation based on your sexual phenotype. So their sort of what they would call like terrorist plans in their manifesto, a lot of that was a lot of that was inspirational to Z Budapest for her coven number one manifesto about hexing rapists, mm-hmm. which I'm super, super interested in talking about. But now I'm reminded by the Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell that I also wanted to talk about like the vocabulary and how like witch hag and crone kind of came back around. Let's talk about that. I think we need that first. Okay, word. So we talked a decent amount about vocabulary in the Salem Witch Trials episode. We talked about how the victims of that, or the victims of the witchcraft in that situation were called the afflicted. The witchiness of the witches in that was um, ascribed to a demonic association or a satanic, sorry, not a satanic, a demonic association and certainly an anti-Puritan, like a a heretical Mm -hmm. association. 300 years later, we're coming across or 200, whatever, 250 years later, that the word witch has now become thoroughly political and not religious. Mm -hmm. This is right Mm -hmm. before Z Budapest writes and sort of like, really? rises to prominence and before Mm -hmm. she sort of before she like injects her perspective and knowledge Mm -hmm. and religiosity into the coming like feminist thought Mm -hmm. we're not in 2021 in this moment where Zee Budapest is writing this Mm. we're in a moment when witch has really evolved to be a pretty negative and not very religious thing to call a woman a witch a hag a crone these are at this point secular Mm -hmm. gendered insults so a lot has changed (laughs) since the last time we checked in with the word witch I think that also just to build off of what you just said I think that they're secular in the sense that they are I don't know that they're universally secular in the sense that I think that probably a lot of people and this is conjecture but I feel confident in it a lot of the people who are on either side of this conversation are Christian Mm. so it's not that it's necessarily secular in the sense that it's like totally religiously unaffiliated but secular in the sense that everybody involved shares a core understanding of God and of what tradition they are either rejecting or accepting. It's that that is a foundation for the term. It's not what the term literally refers to. So to call someone a witch still comes out of that Christian tradition, but does not necessarily respond in kind to, to to call someone a witch is not necessarily to say that they cursed or hexed you. It's Mm -hmm. simply to say that you take on this like powerful, negative, feminine, evil, turn your back on God, turn your back on tradition archetype. That is a really, really good clarification. That's 100%. That's a really necessary clarification. And one thing that I think, so the part of the reason that I bring that up is because in Dianic Witchcraft or Dianic Wicca, there is this concept of the, of the, uh, 
the great goddess, uppercase mm-hmm. G, uppercase G. Yes. So it's still... GG's. GGs. <laughs> so GGs. it's still... Even though people call it a modern pagan religion, mm-hmm. in the sense that it's influenced by the beliefs of like what are considered pre-modern people, it's not a pantheistic religion the way that a lot of modern witchcraft is correct a lot of the witchcraft that i've encountered is pantheistic you worship multiple gods there are many gods you can speak to all of them in dianic witchcraft the great goddess is like the one goddess and all religious representations of women are aspects of her yes they're versions of her they all come under the umbrella of one powerful feminine mother sort of yes the sort of the divine feminine right um a phrase you hear a lot now you might not think of it as something that came out of like an old zine that went around called hag rag <laughs> like um, you might think of it as uh it's as like a mac miller album <laughs> oh it is i thought it was an ariana grande thing yeah it's when they were dating it was the album oh. he made like about her and she was on one of the songs gotcha that's what i was thinking of Something that we sometimes hear by sort of like cultural relativist uh, people talking about the relationship between what people call like the core, like three Abrahamic religions, which are Mm -hmm. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity for those of us who didn't switch majors three times. um, You sometimes hear like, oh, well, you know, whatever you believe in, like that Mm -hmm. is like the creator, the God, Mm -hmm. like maybe that's, you know, the mantra, like whatever you're, you know, like the It's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same thing. Like, can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Like, we hear that a lot more. But we still hear it about the masculine, capital G, God. And so it is pretty, I mean, it is pretty radical and subversive at this time. And even now to consider that to be, like, reversed and that it's all part of the divine feminine. Yes. And I think some people, when they say that, are referring to the concept that the human impulse to worship a deity all comes from the same underlying impulse. And some people, when they say that, are saying that literally there are a set of gods and those set of gods are the same across the board. What Z and her cults are talking about is definitely the second one. And it's this divine feminine figure. It's not that it's not that women across the world choose to worship a feminine figure because that's built into the human, like into the prefrontal right. cortex. Right. It's that there is a real goddess. Yeah. And everyone is worshiping a version of her. Yeah. Basically. Let's flag prefrontal cortex for later. But uh, <laughs> okay, because we're going to talk about biological determinism. Uh, yeah. Now I'm just going to flip back to I was talking about transitioning the mm-hmm. witch manifesto, capital W I T C H manifesto, into the Susan B Anthony Coven number one mm-hmm. manifesto. Mm-hmm. And so part of what that was is, first of all, as you said in your excellent summary at the beginning, part of that was, you know, folding in and really developing a spiritual feminist element uh, and a spiritual element to the feminist movement. But then also part of it was really finding a way for feminism to be a craft, Mm -hmm. which the Witch Manifesto was interested in and was moving towards in the sense of it's an early document with what they would call actual praxis in it so things like beat rapists to death like Mm -hmm. kill all pedophiles things like that was more like the witch manifesto but then the susan b anthony coven number one manifesto was like and i'm not saying this to say like the susan b anthony coven number one manifesto is a ripoff of the witch manifesto it's certainly not it's an inspiration and conversation about similar things uh Mm -hmm. and then i'm also not saying it to say like i'm not trying to like structurally 
evaluate like why the Susan B. Anthony Coven number one manifesto was written and like explain it as like a function. Like that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just literally saying one of the things that was really incredible about it was that it actually put a praxis and a craft into feminism Mm -hmm. because rituals were actual instructions Mm -hmm. because one of the things that can be very difficult about feminist liberation is actual what they would now call like action items Mm -hmm. like especially you know at the time when you're so powerfully disenfranchised that you are asking for the right to work asking for the right to I mean we're whatever people are still asking for the right to be paid appropriately but you know um when you're that powerfully disenfranchised still the having anything that you can do is a powerful turn so that's one of the things that made this or these early writings of Diana Gwicka really not only popular but also effective Mm mm-hmm Tell me about uh, what you learned about the role of men in Dianic Witchcraft. So in reading Z's books, what she has written is that originally when they founded Susan B. Anthony Coven number one, they had a blanket ban on men. There were no men involved. There were no men Mm -hmm. allowed. Men were not meant to be a part of it, partially because some of the rituals that they do focus on healing women from patriarchal violence and mourning Mm -hmm. patriarchal violence and acknowledging things like marital rape and rape in general and these these horrible acts of violence which are considered so gendered and which can traumatize people in ways that they don't feel safe around men mm-hmm. but something that z says in her writing is and she's still alive by the way so when we refer to her in the present she's 81 and she lives in california so fucking rock on yeah there was recently an la times article about her that's pretty fun she eventually said what she realized was that a true feminist spirituality and a true feminist like goddess worship and cult also considers the reality that men need a reparative model of masculinity to worship otherwise it's a hopeless project and so over time dianic wicca came to incorporate what they call like male rituals and like male rights mm-hmm. r-i-t-e-s a podcast said no male rights are ideas. <laughs> uh, no, men's sorry. rights activism. Yeah. So that's the thing that they developed over time in partnership with Diana Wicca, mm-hmm. especially because many of these women, it wasn't all lesbians. Many of these women had husbands or boyfriends or wanted to be able to live in relation to right. men. And a lot of those men wanted to be a part of this in some way, or at least wanted to know how to support. And so Dianic Wicca actually within its structure now, and there are a lot of people who still practice it. I mean, a lot, not a lot compared to like how many Muslims there are in the world, but you know. Nothing's a lot compared to that. (laughs) So I think that's something that changes throughout waves of feminism and changes throughout waves of spirituality that I don't want to say... Yeah, no, you know what? I am going to say it because we said that a lot of things were started by Aleister Crowley. And so now I'm going to say with equal confidence, feminism, that this is something that Z. Budapest started, which is, let me rewind, first wave feminism, as you said, uh, sort of li- like digging one's claws in to to reach somewhat equal legal status with men. I mean, it was the very concept that women were equal to men. Yes. Before that, that wasn't an idea. Right. Men and women were not equal, and to say that they were would not have been... Would not have made any sense. So 
in that way, first wave feminism engaged a lot with the relations with men, not necessarily in terms of interpersonal relations, that was not present, but it engaged with the idea of there being a relationship, whether that's a hierarchy or whatever, between men and women. Then we have the second wave, which very much, as you said, engaged with the relationships between men and women. In that second wave is when also these radical, these radical groups like which emerged that were fully separatist, their manner of addressing the relationship between men and women was that they had a sensibility that there was no way to come back from how far that relationship had deteriorated and how imbalanced it was, and instead to create a society that was without that imbalance because there were no men. Mm -hmm. So they are all about separatism, if not active violence. Not supremacy, but can't think of the word. It's the question that if, if you've been involved in any queer groups in the past like 20 years, it's the question of liberation versus, the word's not conformity, what's the word when you fold in Assimilation. with society? Assimilation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they had praxis for that. They had steps for that. Um, they had ideas for that. I mean, as far as we know, uh, that has not been realized. One of the many ways in which the Susan B. Anthony Coven number one manifesto and further writings of Z. Budapest and Diana Wicca changed ideas of how feminism treats not just women and not just men, but the actual interpersonal relationships between men and women, which were not mm -hmm. present uh, and not concerns of first wave feminism, the idea that you would need to heal a man's relationship with manhood, and then the idea that there was instructions to do that, highly revolutionary. Yeah, and like shows a degree, this is actually, we should probably talk about biological determinism now with, with within what you're saying, because it shows a degree of sensitivity to the challenges that men face in society that I think is part of what made Z such a beloved figure and keeps her such a beloved figure. Because if you if you look into the meat of, of these movements, like if you get in the forums, which are very active, if you get on the blogs, if you're on the Facebook pages, people, journal, people love Z and they consider her to be like... They talk about their lineage or their coven, like their personal yes. coven, their personal, like the people who they worship or they look up to or they consider to be in their like witch family. Mm -hmm. So many people are so proud to be connected to her and like truly believe that she has revolutionized women's ability to understand themselves as like divine feminine beings mm -hmm. and to heal. Like for people for whom she's important, she's so important. She's so important. That is part of what makes the controversy surrounding her within the feminist witchcraft movement so much more unsettling and kind of sad mm -hmm. in a way, I think. Yeah. So earlier I had said, let's uh, bookmark the idea of something being located in the prefrontal cortex. Because one of the most significant criticisms that Z. Budapest and in general, Diana Wicca and feminist witchcraft comes under is she did not allow trans women to be a part of her rituals or a subject of her rituals rather. And she has said, what, what, or will you, will you circle back to the, the, the Times article about it? Yeah. In 2011, there was a pagan protest. Mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> In 2011, there was a pagan conference at which attendees staged a protest, which in a way is a pagan protest, I guess. Z performed what she called a self-blessing ritual, and it was performed in the nude, and men and transgender women 
were barred from participating. So I think specifically she referred to like people who are of the female sex. So you may have heard of the term sex-based oppression versus like women's rights. There's a lot of debate about this within feminist communities, especially those which consider trans women to be like an important subject for their feminism, mm -hmm. which is like to what degree is sex-based oppression the center of feminism? Sex-based oppression being like reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. You may have also heard people say things like, um, you don't want to say women's rights if it's about reproductive rights because trans men can have uteruses, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So like this is something that we're very, very, very much in the thicket of in terms of what is considered to be fourth wave feminism, which is feminism that in some ways includes trans people and is concerned with transgender issues and issues of gender generally versus issues of sex. Mm -hmm. And so for Z to have banned barred, I guess, trans women from participating in this ritual, it was such a big deal mm -hmm. in the Diana Quicka community. I mean, like essays on essays on essays, including like, and when we say a protest, it wasn't people with signs. These are witches. So it was like they would sit and silently hold a separate ritual in protest. And the point of the ritual was to help Z change her stance and have compassion for trans women. Mm. Like it's it's that kind of involvement in protest in which these people are meeting each other on the same ground and hashing out this very fundamental issue of because this is somebody who was grounded in lesbian separatism to begin with and who believes that sex-based violence is one of the biggest issues facing women and whose, whose feminism comes out of that. How can you square that with the idea of men becoming women to her eye? Mm -hmm. Like really, how can you... How can you say that? Because for her, sex is immutable. Gender may be complicated, but to physically be what, pe what people call female versus a woman, right? Female being the biological term. Mm -hmm. That's, she's, she's a gender essentialist about it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, it's not just female biology, I think, but like this idea of there being a core feminine essence. If there is such thing as a divine female goddess, that would be something that is inborn, mm -hmm. right? I think within her theology, that is what she practices. And so many people have stepped back from her covens because of this, because mm -hmm. they feel alienated by it, because they feel like there's no reason that you can't understand the divine feminine spirit to possess people who are not originally women. Like with there should be room for that within witchcraft. But I think people just really go back and forth on it. It's like, it's very controversial within witch circles. Mm -hmm. I think that since she is retired, from practicing in public, mm -hmm. largely retired from ritual work. I think in a way it is appropriate that she steps back and allows a new generation yes. of witches to take up this issue. Yes. Because the fact of the matter is it's a different wave of feminism. It's a different wave of witches. It's a different wave of practice. It's a different series of people yeah. and a different series of concerns. And so lesbian separatism failed as a project largely. That's not because lesbianism failed, but because political lesbianism generally proved to be totally unsustainable for those participating who weren't actually lesbian. Partially because gender has collapsed. Right. Well, one can, one can hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? It's Gender is looked... falling and recreating itself all across the country every yeah. day. For, for lesbian separatism to be possible, woman has to be a fixed static thing. You have to have right. a group called women and a group called men. And I think that we're in a Moving moment of feminism in which we are at least complicating that at least getting in the paint and really considering what that means and what that looks like and for who that applies yeah. and what that would like what that holds up and what that lets down and so i think because that was the project that zeke came out of i think it would be ideologically probably impossible for her to be able to yeah 
accept that within the framework of what she's created, the very convictions that allowed her to become an icon are the things that will prevent her from being able to move into this. And so I think to step back and allow a new generation to step forward and say, actually, you can have blessing rituals in which you become one with the divine feminine goddess, and that's a gender affirming ritual, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Yeah. Like that is... That's totally appropriate to me. I agree with you. Like when it would be impossible to reconcile that with her writing and her experience. And that's fine because she doesn't have to be feminism. She doesn't, I mean, in the sense that like she does not have to be equated to or the be all end all of feminism, of witchcraft, of feminist witchcraft, of Diana Wicca, of any of those things. She can Mm -hmm. be an extremely iconic like catalyst you know a what is that called a thought leader or whatever she can be a thought leader in that and not be the thought leader that we need now because she's not i mean in the same way that susan b anthony complicating susan b anthony doesn't mean like throw susan b anthony out with the bathwater. it's like susan b anthony isn't what we need right now why would it be why would z budapest be what we need right now when she was so clearly what we needed this is almost 50 years ago this is 50 years ago i don't know what year it is so um also she famously we didn't cover this because it's not directly within the like arc that we're doing but part of an important part of her legend and like her canon Mm -hmm. is that she was arrested on the street for fortune telling in california and she is part of the reason that fortune telling is legal in california now is like her jailing and protest which we discussed the legality of fortune telling in a previous episode that i highly recommend you go back and listen to if you haven't i think it's a really good episode but z budapest is a really important part of that she uh she kind of made that famous and got some action behind Mm -hmm. it that's really fabulous. She's also an early propagator of uh, Take Back the Night, though I, not how we would see it today, but in the sense where she was interested in the night not only as a spiritual home for women, but also as a place almost, a space mm-hmm. that is very fraught and dangerous for women and that women needed to reclaim that. So I don't think she'd be into the Take Back the Night that we have now. But, I mean, that's just my guess. But just another thing that in case you wanted to know what that she's into. But yeah, so so here we are 50 years later. She's changed a lot. And she and the people who, you know, wrote and thought and changed the world around her. I feel like it goes without saying, but obviously this was like a cause of a lot of concern for people. So to sort of close this episode and and relate it to our previous and to our next episode, this was of high concern to the forces who have a vested capital interest in the nuclear family unit. Uh, So whether it was young women or wives or basically any other, or your kids, you know, that were interested in these feminist witchcrafts it was still heretical or it very much was heretical to not only christianity but also to the ideals of the you know sort of like gender binary family unit singular american household ideal yeah the word witch doesn't mean the same thing at this time like we've talked about so sort of the terminology that goes along with like demonizing literally and sort of in the in the usage of the word general usage of the word of demonizing these feminists and these witches um a lot of it was deeply homophobic it was a lot of you know 
mm-hmm. the idea that these women would become, quote unquote, like become lesbians and then that would like be the fall of society because then who would be who would be at home while, you know, while you're out working all day and then you're supposed to come home to like a hot cook, a home cooked meal and like you're pick up your son from football practice and your daughter is supposed to be you know, fucking whatever, cheerleading and shit. And then it's like, but if your wife and your daughter become lesbian witches, like, oh no, like the the world is going to end, the stock market's going to crash, like in a not dissimilar fashion to the fears of what would happen if your wife or your daughter became a witch during the Salem witch trials, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And oddly enough, in a way not dissimilar to the moral panic about trans girls and especially yes. young girls becoming trans boys today in a way that is like ironic. And I wish that Z was able to see that and like take some kind of public stance on that because as much as I understand that it's not within her purview and that it's mm-hmm. probably an impossible ask for a sweet old lady who eats oatmeal raisin cookies every morning for breakfast, it's also true that that kind of moral panic around the role of young women and like the position of young women is just baked into American society mm-hmm. and I think that the moral panic around like young girls are transitioning and they're turning into boys and mutilating themselves and the idea that young women are in danger from other mm-hmm. women trans women now mm-hmm. and lesbians then mm-hmm. the idea that they're in some sort of sexual danger from them and that they will then be like spirited away to this like alternative yeah. lifestyle of like sexual deviancy violence they're it's always yeah. tugged, tied into like drug addiction, prostitution, like all the and that's, yeah, seedy stuff, yeah, vice, yeah, vice, and that they and that they hate their female bodies, right? That's one of the fears about young uh, trans boys, young trans boys, mm-hmm. is that like when like pre-transition, that the reason that they want to transition is not because they have some kind of real authentic quote unquote gender experience, but but that actually they're what they're experiencing is just patriarchy. And that they just don't like their bodies because they're girls and that like it's, you know, it's it's this horrible thing and they're going to mutilate their beautiful, young, pure, innocent female bodies. And they're not even going to understand that they're mutilating their beautiful, pure, innocent, fertile female bodies. It's totally one of those moments. Until it's too late. Like, they've taken puberty blockers. I know. Sometimes moments it's like, so you agree. Being a young woman is terrible. Right. Like, oh, so you admit it. You make young women feel terrible about themselves and their bodies. And like, it's not like I even feel confident to take a stance on that as a position Mm -hmm. in that like, I do think that it's a complicated issue involving many different aspects of the experience of like violence in women in the body and rejection of the body and puberty and that that's like a thorny tangled thing. Female self-mutilation, not necessarily of like the genitals are in transition, but uh, transitioning, like I'm not saying like that's the issue of female mutilation, but the mutilation, self-mutilation and self-harm for female people, whether they're girls or boys, is extremely high. And common, especially in puberty, in the age that people are having moral panic about. So this is not to dismiss out of hand the idea that that's a concern, only to say that I believe that the there is obviously a moral panic around young trans people that's totally blown out of proportion, and I feel totally confident in dismissing, and that I believe that those things are uh, historically aligned with Mm -hmm. what Z was pushing against. Mm -hmm. And I think that seeing that link across time makes me hopeful that people will be able to take up these causes the way that she did and create a safe spiritual space for those who need it and also sad because 
Yes. We're still dealing with this shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Next week, we're going to talk about the satanic panic and what Satanism in terms of the practice of Satanism really was during the 80s and 90s of this uh, during this panic and some of the main bad actors who were involved in it. Uh, Bad actors meaning like the government, not meaning like the Satanists. Uh, I myself am not a Satanist. I get asked that a lot. I'll be answering that question next week. Uh, I would love to close by just reading you this flyer for a Dianic Wicca, the fifth annual Women in Witchcraft Conference. The fifth annual Women in Witchcraft Conference was held August 30th to September 20th, September 2nd in the year 9,990, which I have to assume was 1990, but I'm not 100% sure. I didn't look up what like the witchcraft year like translation is. I don't know if that was in fact like 1964, but here we go. Developing Dianic Wicca, a conference for women witches, part five. Conference activities, discussions, rituals, slideshow, market day, workshops, coffee house, and more. Housing in bunkhouse style cabins with indoor plumbing, vegetarian meals, handicapped accessible. $145 registration fee before August 1st, $165 after. Includes vegetarian meals and lodging. And then the location is just written as in central Wisconsin. That warms my little heart. I don't know. Think about that is so sweet to me. It's like, yeah, those were the people. Yeah. They were really going out in the woods and doing it, making it happen. Yeah. They were my elementary school teachers. Yeah. So I guess we'll see you next time. See you guys next time. Thank you for coming. Did you just do this? No. (laughs) That'd be funny. (laughs) 